Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. I'm going to start out. I'm going to be speaking tonight, the lost art of true love. The lost art of true love. This is a lesson that God gave me last year. I was asked to speak um, at a luncheon for Pastor um, and Sister Hall. Their ladies had a luncheon last year. And uh, this is what the Lord gave me to kind of go along with their theme. And I felt like there would probably come a time when I would share it here at home. Um, But the opportunity hadn't um, extended itself and just kind of felt like that's what I was going to do tonight. And even though we're few in number, God must have a reason for me doing it. So I'm going to share it tonight. But before I start, I just want to, I think what kind of goes along with this is that old song that we used to sing as kids. Um, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong, they are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me, oh yes, Jesus loves me, oh yes, Jesus loves me, the Bible tells me so. And we're going to talk tonight about the love of God and how much he loves us. And all of us here tonight, we're all ladies. And for the most part, ladies tend to be romantics, helpless romantics. We like romance. Some of us are, even if we wouldn't admit it. But we do all love a good love story, don't we? The damsel in distress being rescued by her knight in shining armor. Or the princess who's awakened with a kiss from her true love. Or the young woman in the country, she's just teaching the children in that one-room schoolhouse, and her rugged, handsome cowboy that she's known since a child comes by to see her. And so the story goes, generally, in most of your love stories, for the most part. It seems like you have two people that are just meant to be together, but they have mix-ups and misunderstandings and miscommunications and mishaps, And it seems like they can't get together for anything. And then at the very end, at the climax, he's on the stagecoach. He's headed away forever. And at that moment, she has that epiphany. (gasps) I love him. What am I doing? And she picks up her skirts and she goes running after the stagecoach, calling out his name. I love you. And the wagon stops and he jumps down and he grabs her and twirls her around with a kiss. And I love you too. And then, boom, the movie cuts to the wedding, and they're up there at the altar getting married. You know, I noticed that they never tell you what happened to his luggage that was left on the stagecoach. Probably at that point, he just didn't really care, you know. (laughs) He was with his true love, so he didn't really care. But it's a happy ending, and we love the happy endings. It's true love. 
But we all know that life is not always like that. It's not a fairy tale. In fact, rarely does it turn out always like that. A relationship and love takes work and commitment. It's been said that love is a choice. It's not always a feeling. Now, I haven't come tonight to talk to you about marriage. You may be thinking, okay, Sister Ringy, what are you doing? I've just come to talk to you about love, true love. What is love? What does it mean? And I wanted to, you know, sometimes we'd say, oh, love, God is love. But what does the dictionary, what is the very meaning? If you would look it up, what does it say love means? A profoundly tender passion and affection for another person. A feeling of warm personal attachment or deep affection, as for a parent, a child, or a friend. It can also mean sexual passion or desire. A person toward whom love is felt, a beloved person, a sweetheart. And it can also be used as a term of endearment. Would you, do you need something, love? And in fact, you know, speaking it in love. So tonight, as we talk about the lost art of true love, we're going to address three things. Number one is to give in to the love of God. Give in to the love of God. Number two, give up fear. And number three, give in to love for others. So we're going to start out with number one, give in to love from God. In the Old Testament, there's a story in a book by the name of this man named Hosea. It is an amazing story. He was a prophet of God, and he was sent to the children of Israel. At this time, Israel had turned away from God. They were chasing after false gods, after idols, and they were involving involving themselves in debasing immoral practices. Because as you've heard preached and taught at different times, when they, these other people, when they worship false gods, they involve themselves in sexual practices, in child sacrifice, so many immoral, debasing things that have nothing to do with love. But they were, they would, and so as Israel would go after these other gods, they would begin to involve these, themselves in some of these forms of what they called worship. So God sent Hosea to try and persuade Israel to turn back to him. And God spoke to Hosea and told him, that he was going to have his life be an example to Israel of how their behavior was with him. And he told Hosea that he was going to marry a prostitute by the name of Gomer. Can you imagine at first Hosea, a man of God, being told you're going to marry a prostitute because I want to show Israel what you have done to me. So Hosea's domestic life, you could say, became a tragic dramatization of the unfaithfulness of God's people. What was happening spiritually, Hosea was fixing to live out in his natural life because God wanted to portray in the natural what was happening in the spiritual. Many times, God many times used things in the natural so people would understand what was taking place in the spiritual. So Hosea went and married Gomer, and he had a son, but it wasn't happily ever after. Gomer repeatedly went back to her old ways, And she even bore children by other men. And when I began to study this scripture out, I never really realized, I knew that she had gone back to her prostitution ways, but I never realized that she even bore children by other men. But Hosea, through the heartbreak, through the tragedy, continued to go after her time after time to bring her back. He loved her with an unending and undying love. She was, quote, beloved of her friend, though an adulteress. Hosea experienced much pain and hurt, but his love for her overshadowed the feelings of betrayal. That would be a really hard thing to do. 
Hosea was demonstrating towards us, excuse me, Hosea was demonstrating towards Gomer the type of love that God had for Israel and the type of love that he has for us. God loved Israel. Israel was his bride. And it hurt God deeply that they were chasing after false gods and immorality in the same way that Gomer kept leaving Hosea to go back to her old lifestyle, back to the sinful life. But God, just like Hosea did, he continued to reach out to them and try to bring them back. In Hosea chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, it says, She went after her lovers and forgot me, saith the Lord. Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak comfortably unto her. Despite Israel's repeated rejection and their sin, God did not stop loving. He did not stop reaching and wooing his bride. What wonder and what mercy that was. Now, the Bible tells us that God's ways are higher than man's ways, and we know that's true because you can look around and see the relationships. So many people have divorced for way less, way, way less. But yet Hosea chose to stay married to her, chose to continue to reach after her. It was a portrayal of God's love because God's love is unconditional. You can't do anything to change God's love for you. There's nothing we can do for God to God that he will stop loving us. His love will always be there. No matter how many times we reject him, we sin, we do things we shouldn't, he may not approve, but he still loves us. The love is always there. How many of us can say we've been in or, or are in now or have been in the position of Gomer? At times, God has reached for us when we turned away. But we have before us a pure love, an undefiled love, an unconditional love, and it's ours for the taking. Gomer had the love of a committed, unselfish, loving husband. And, you know, I can imagine as she went back to, you know, her trade, whether it was amongst a group like you might think of like a brothel or how, if she did it on her own, I don't know. It doesn't say. But I can only imagine these other women that would be in her trade that would say, are you crazy? You had a chance to get out of this lifestyle. Look at what you have. You got a home. You got a roof over your head. You got a man that loves you, will stay committed to you for the rest of your life. Why do you keep coming back here? You know, I would give up anything to have that, you know, but she just kept going back. And we're going to look at Gomer a little bit more here. But we have that love of God for us to take. But so many times, sometimes we turn away from it like Gomer did. She kept trading it in for the lust and momentary pleasure of a one-night stand. Hebrews 11.25 tells us that there is pleasure in sin for a season, but we know it's temporary and it doesn't last. Sin is that one-night stand. It feels good in the moment, but it leaves us feeling used and cold and empty. However, Psalm 16.11 gives us hope and states, Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. So unlike sin, where it says there's pleasure for a season, this scripture tells us that with God, the pleasures are forevermore. They're for an eternity. They're never ending. If we're serving him, we're going to die, and we're going to continue. We're going to have pleasure we didn't have on this earth. We're going to have it forevermore in heaven. The pleasures that come from a relationship with God are everlasting. They don't end. The glow doesn't fade. And this will leave us feeling fulfilled, cherished and valued but it takes two Hosea could continue to pursue Gomer with arms open wide but until Gomer stopped running and turned around she couldn't experience that love fully that security that safety so in this 
story, it wasn't truly enough for Hosea to just love Gomer. Gomer had to accept the love. Hosea's very name, it means salvation. He was going to be her rescuer, her knight in shining armor, her prince charming. God loves us. He wants to be with us. He pursues us, but we have to accept his love and not run away with it. So we ask the question, why couldn't Gomer accept Hosea's love? Why did she keep running away? And I begin to think about it because the Bible doesn't give us Gomer's background. We don't know how she was raised. We don't know where she came from. But the possibilities are endless. Maybe Gomer, after the life she lived, could never truly accept that a man would want her for a wife. No doubt she had lots of trust issues, especially when it came to men. She'd been used and abused by men for so long. I'm sure she was numb and had probably erected many walls. The very act that was supposed to be the ultimate intimate expression of true love between a husband and wife had simply become a paycheck for her. It didn't mean anything. It was a way to make a living and put food in her mouth. She hadn't yet experienced the true pleasure of intimacy when it came to true love. And yet here's a man that wants to marry her and make her his wife. So maybe going through her mind is, what's he really after? What's his hidden motivation? Is he just wanting to use me as his plaything? But there was no hidden motive. There was no agenda. It was simply pure, true love. And a love that didn't care about her past, her failures, her mistakes. Maybe Gomer grew up in a home where she had a mother or a father that constantly told her what a disappointment she was. Maybe she couldn't measure up in their eyes. I mean, how did she get from being a young daughter, a young child, to being a prostitute in the first place? We don't know, but it had to have been a hard road for a woman of that day to end up in that situation. Maybe she was taken advantage of by a family member when she was a young girl. We don't know. But what we do know, and what the Bible does say, is despite her station in life, she came in contact with true love, and a love that would last a lifetime. We can sometimes see ourselves in Gomer, especially when we start thinking about, I've done this, I've made this mistake, I don't measure up. My prayer life isn't where it needs to be. I, I need to do better in this. Oh, I messed up and made this mistake. And we struggle sometimes to accept that pure, undefiled love of God. Because sometimes I know for people who have been raised in a home where um, maybe they didn't have the best relationship with their father or mother, they taint their view of God by the view they've had or the relationship they've had down here on earth. Because they think they're looking at a God that's, you know, constantly looking at them through eyes of disappointment when nothing could be further from the truth. A lot of times we think we're just too much of a mess. We're not worthy. God can't love someone like me. I've been abused. I'm tainted. I've done things I'm not proud of. I've made a mess of my life. I don't deserve his love. But, you know, truly none of us do. If we had to earn it, we couldn't earn it. But that's what's so great about his love being unconditional is that we don't have to earn it. We have it. It's ours. It's there. The Bible says in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And I love in the New Living Translation of Ecclesiastes 7.20, Not a single person on earth is always good and never sins. And that's the truth. None of us are good and none of us have never sinned. We all have sinned. We could all say that we have some skeletons in our closet, so to speak, something that we're not proud of, that we wouldn't want people to know. And yet, God knows it all, and he still loves us anyway. 
And like Hosea pursued Gomer, God's pursuing us, and he doesn't care about our past. He just loves us. He wants to be with us. The things we're giving up if we choose to embrace the temporary pleasure of this world and ignore the eternal pleasure and bliss we can find as the bride of Christ. Jesus' name doesn't just mean salvation. He is salvation. His love is eternal, unchanging. It never stops. He constantly pursues us, constantly seeking, longing. He wants to give joy, give pleasure. You know, the Bible talks about a father giving good gifts to his children. How much more does your father in heaven desire to give good gifts to us? We don't have to earn his love. His love just is because God is love. That's who he is. He can't deny the nature of who he is. Romans 5 and 8, but God commendeth his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And that right there is it in a nutshell because he died while we were still sinners because he loved us. And that tells us that if he was willing to die for us in that wretched, sinful state where he doesn't want us to stay, but yet he still chose to go to the cross when we were there. Commendeth in that scripture means to reward to commit, to entrust. God doesn't give up. He doesn't get frustrated trying to make us love him or measure up. Instead, he wholeheartedly rewards, commits, entrusts his love. And even yet, while we were sinners, and at that moment, incapable of loving him in return within our own power. So what has always been God's desire? To interact and have a relationship with man. He walked and talked with Adam and Eve in the garden. He spoke to Moses out of a burning bush. He communed with the priest in a great cloud in the, at the tabernacle. He even robed himself in flesh and came down and dwelt among his people. He went to the extremes to find a way to communicate and be close to his people, his creation. You can look all throughout the Bible of the many different ways that he spoke to people. He's used a donkey, a burning bush. I mean, you know, appeared in visions, used angels in the sky. I mean, a still small voice after a thunderous storm and wind. God wants to find a way to talk and communicate with us because he loves us and he wants to. So then, after he dwelt among his people and robed himself in flesh, he died on the cross and he rose again. And what did he do? He came back in spirit form, the Holy Ghost. Why? So he could live inside of us and be with us all the time. So isn't that just so amazing? The love of God throughout Scripture and even now today, what we have, his, he chose to come back in spirit form so that each and every one of us as individuals could have him with us wherever we go. We're the temple of the Holy Ghost. And his spirit not only saves us, but it does allow us to have God with us at all times, and therefore we can commune with him and talk with him anytime we want to at will. Driving down the road, inside the store, cooking at the stove, no matter where we're at or what we're doing, we can talk with God because he loves us. Now his love, God's love in the Greek, and some of this you may have heard me speak on um, a couple years ago when I talked about a cup of security because I talked a little bit about God's love towards us. But it was agape love, meaning unselfish love. Love that's driven by what is best for the person being loved, not the person doing the loving. It's a sacrificial love, and that's the kind of love God has for us. God would rather sacrifice, as he did on the cross, for our benefit. And that is truly a love to strive for, because we live in such a selfish society, a selfish where it's all about what I want, what I need, how I feel, what I'm going through, where I'm at. 
But God, all he cares about is loving us and letting it be for our benefit, what benefits us the most. God loves us, and it's not out of duty. Keep that in mind. It's not out of duty or obligation. It's out of desire. Agape love, where the lover finds joy in the object of his affection. His love is bursting with emotion for us. It's not a have-to love. It's an I-want-to love. The lover running through the field with reckless abandon, joy, happiness, laughter, the two meet in the middle, and they're just, woo. That's how God wants to be with us. He's running through the field with open arms. Come to me. I love you. I can't wait to be with you. I can't wait to talk with you. I can't wait to see you. And that's why God desires faithfulness to his house because, you know, we come in here and begin to worship, and boom, yeah, God's like, whoo, I'm show up because they're, they're wanting to be with me. They're wanting to talk with me, and he's just going to pour it out. Now, the Hebrew word for love is hesed, and it means unfailing, merciful, loyal, and faithful. The same description you might use as a husband and wife who are committed to each other for better or worse. They've made vows. God's that groom who's eagerly waiting for you to be his bride because he's committed to us. He's committed to us. He is merciful and he is loyal. And that love of God doesn't fade or change with time. You know, you've heard people say they got married and they just don't love each other anymore. You know, we just fell out of love. God does not fall out of love, ever. And his love doesn't fade. It doesn't settle. His love is still bursting with as much emotion now as the first time you ever came into this world. His love is like that. It's just constantly just the top realm of love that you can imagine. That's where God's at all the time. That's how much he loves us. It's as steadfast and real as that groom marrying the girl of his dreams on their wedding day. You think back to your wedding day when you walked down the aisle and saw your handsome groom standing up there, and you walked up there and looked in his eyes and thinking, I'm getting to marry this man. I love him. That's the type of God love has for us every day. It never fades. It never, you know, recedes. So you're kind of starting to get the picture of how much he really loves us. You don't have to earn it. You just have to accept it. And the Bible says his love will cover a multitude of sins, and it can provide the balm and healing ointment to soothe the hurts and to heal us from our past. Because sometimes we accept the forgiveness and the love of God, but then he has to take that love and help us love and forgive ourselves. God's not an abusive husband. He is a gentleman. He's not a stern, unsatisfied father. He's a caring and supportive father. You say, well, if I give in to the love of God, won't I have to give up some things? Yes. Let me tell you what you're going to give up. The main thing you're going to give up is fear. Because 1 John 4.18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear has torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. Fear has torment. It's a painful and distressing emotion painful and distressing emotion but God's love in our hearts takes away fear you say okay that sounds good but fear of what 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 fear am I giving up well I found several the first one is fear of want because Philippians 4 19 says my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus Matthew 7 starting at verse 7 Ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened. Not might, not maybe, shall. Shall be opened to you. For everyone that asketh, receiveth. And I love, as Pastor has pointed out before, anytime you see those words in the scripture that end in E-T-H, 
It means whatever the verb is, for example, asketh, ask and continue to ask. Receives and continues to receive. You keep asking, you're going to keep receiving. And he that seeketh, findeth. Keep seeking, and you will continue to find. And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. Knock and keep knocking, and it will be opened. Or what man is there of you whom if his son asks bread, would you give him a stone? Or if he asks a fish, will he give him a serpent? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask him? And you know, all of us can say we would do anything for our children or our grandchildren. If they need something, we'll be there. I know that in my own life, whether it's been um, Paul's mom and dad, they would do anything for us. They have done so much for us. And now as a parent myself, I would do anything for my children. I would suffer before I'd let my children suffer. I would stand in the way of someone trying to harm my child, and I'd rather be harmed than let someone harm them. And how much more us being evil that we would have that type of protection over our children and grandchildren, would God, does God care for us? That's how he loves us. At nighttime, different times, not so much as I used to, but I'll be like, babe, before we go to sleep, will you rub my back? And he almost always does. And he says, he usually knows I'm going to ask, so he just waits for it. He says, it's like our little game. I, I could just reach over and do it, but I just wait for you to ask, he says. <laughs> or maybe I'm busy cleaning, and the kids will say, Mom, will you come sit with me just a little bit, please? And they have those big brown eyes or the big blue eyes. Well, how can you resist that? I mean, really, how can you resist that? But do you know when you ask God for something, that's how he's seeing us. That's my child down there. How can I resist that, my creation? And he's going to take care of us. A groom doesn't marry his bride and then put her on the curb and say, okay, fend for yourself. Not if he's worth his salt anyway. He treats her special. He cherishes her. He provides a home and shelter and income to take care of her. John 6:35, God tells us, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. It's pretty awesome. Never going to hunger, never going to thirst. He'll take care of us. He said he would in his word. We can count on that. So we lose the fear of want when we find ourselves giving in to his love. Next, we can give up the fear of disappointment. We know that people are going to fail us. People will let us down. We're going to let ourselves down. We're going to fail and disappoint ourselves. Friends, families, yes, even husbands. But God will never, ever fail. Romans 5 and 5 in the New Living Translation says, And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us, because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Psalms 34 and 8, O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. We can trust in God. He'll never fail. He's that friend that sticketh closer than a brother. It doesn't matter. We can always lean on him. He's never going to step away and let us fall. He's always there. We can also give up the fear of failure in judgment. Some people say, I can't serve God. I've messed up so many times. What if I mess up again? What if I stumble? What if I fail? What if I make a mistake? Well, we're all human. We're going to mess up. We're not perfect. I mean, the Apostle Paul in the Bible, he even said, I die daily. In other words, he had to repent daily. God, forgive me for the things I've done today. And that's part of our daily prayer life is, God, forgive me for what I've done today, for what I've done, you know, anything that's come my way. God, forgive me. 
But what's so great about God is he offers forgiveness. His mercies, the Bible says, are new every morning. Well, how convenient is that? If I got to die every day and his mercies are new every day, well, thank you, Lord, goes hand in hand. If I repent, his mercy's there. It works awesome. So when we come to God with a repentant heart, a broken and a contrite spirit, he is willing, but not just willing, but he is able to forgive our sins. And he doesn't just forgive. We know this. He forgets. He puts them in the sea of forgetfulness. And to me, that has always been one of the most awesome concepts in my mind, that we serve an all-knowing God that knows the end from the beginning. He knows all the way in the past, all the way to the future. He knows our hearts. He can see inside of our minds. He knows all things. There's nothing hidden from God. But there is one thing hidden from God, the sins that we've repented over, because he chooses to forget them, put them as far as the east is from the west, put them in the sea of forgetfulness. But see, that's where we get hung up because we still remember the sins. And we'll be, oh, God, you know, I know I said I was sorry, but I still feel really bad, you know. Please forgive me. And you know what? God is looking at you saying, I don't have a clue what you're talking about. It's like someone that wrote them on a chalkboard and then erased it, and you walk back in the room and you know what was wrote there, but he don't. He's looking at a blank slate like, I don't even know what was there, you know. So... We, it, it comes with that giving into the love of God because that comes with the forgiveness and the acceptance that he has cast our sins into the sea of forgetfulness. And then the Bible tells us that he covers us with his righteousness. So when he looks at us, if we're full of his spirit, he just sees a reflection of himself. Isn't that awesome? And we can relate to that. When our kids mess up, break a lamp, knock over one of our favorite vases, and those little tears gather in their eyes. Mom, I'm so sorry. Forgive me. I didn't mean it. And your heart just melts, and what do you do? You pick them up, and you wrap them in your arms, and you comfort them. It's okay. I know you're sorry. I forgive you. It's done. Don't worry about it. And the one that maybe had the wrong done to, which is us, we're comforting them, saying it's okay. Don't worry about it. Everything's fine. Well, imagine yourself in those shoes with God. God, I'm so sorry. I know I screwed up. And I, please forgive me, Lord. I, I'm trying harder. And there's God saying, it's okay. I love you. It's fine. Don't worry about it. It's over. It's gone. I forgot about it. It's done with. We don't hold our kids accountable and put them under our thumb. And Don't you remember what you did a year and a half ago when you broke my lamp? I still look over there, and I still remember that being there, and I wish you'd never. No, we don't do that. It'd make them feel terrible. God doesn't do that to us either. But sometimes in our mind, we think God is still remembering our screw-ups and our mess-ups, and he's not. Because once you've repented, it's done. It's over. It's past. It's a blank slate. We have to get that in our spirit that God doesn't see those mistakes anymore. He doesn't view our past. He can't see it. He threw it away when we repented. It's gone. So that's part of accepting that love. We give up that fear of failure and judgment. God forgives in a moment just like that. It's not a gradual process. It's not a, oh, it'll be take a little time. No, forgiveness when you've repented is instant. And, you know, he passes that on to us and, and admonishes us to be the same way. He told Peter, you don't just forgive seven times, but 70 times seven. He erased the line of how many times to forgive for us among humanity. So if he expects us to forgive people that many times as humans, a God that is eternal with no sin, how much does he forgive? So it's okay. 
Sometimes the Bible says we have those weights and sins that easily beset us. Everybody has something in their life, sometimes more than one thing, that seems to be the sin that you're prone to or the thing that kind of seems to drag you down or, or it seems like it always wants to snare you. It's that one or two things for that individual. And, you know, what I struggle with may not be what they struggle with, but everybody has their certain things that is their struggle. And God knows that. And he knows that we struggle with those things. And as many times as we come and say, God... I did it again. And now, we're not talking about walking on God's grace and taking advantage of it, not purposely, but when, as things that we struggle with. And God, I'm sorry, I'm still striving, I'm still working, I'm still pressing towards the mark. And what does he do? Again, forgives us. Boom, just like that, every time. Because as I said, if he told Peter to do that as a human, as us to each other, and asked us to forgive 70 times 7, then how much more does God He's not going to give us a higher standard than what he himself upholds. There's no end to his mercy and grace. And as I already stated, it's not to be taken advantage of, but it is there. We don't have to walk around on eggshells with God because he already knows us from the inside out. He knows our thoughts. He knows our heart. The prodigal son story made his way home. He intended to just beg for mercy and ask for a position as a servant. But his father had such love and compassion that he was looking for him and ran out to meet him, embraced him, clothed him, never even entertained the thought of him being a servant or earning his way back in. Nope, celebrated his return and restored him as a son. And he'd already received his inheritance and then wasted it away. He had nothing left to inherit. Could have made him a servant, but he didn't. He put clothes on him. He, you know, killed the fatted calf. They had a celebration. So basically what in my mind happened is this son received greater than the first inheritance because... There was more things lavished on him. Even his father, if I'm not mistaken, put his ring on him. He was, ex- he was happy to have him home that much. He didn't receive judgment and punishment. He received grace and forgiveness. We can also rid ourselves of the fear of what is to come and of death. Many people in our day and age, they're fearful of death because they think either it's just the end or, you know, very fearful of death, but the Bible tells us in Romans 8:28, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. When we are full of God's love and his spirit, and we've accepted his salvation, we don't have to fear the future. Because the Bible says in Philippians 1:21, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. And to die is gain. So if we're living down here and we're serving God, we're living the best life you can have on earth if we're living for the Lord. Because of all the different types of lifestyles we could have or stations in life we could be at, if we are serving God and full of his spirit and saved and living right, that's the best life you can have while you're down here on this earth. But what's so great is it's okay if I get killed in a car accident tomorrow to die is gain because then I'm going to be present with the Lord. So we have that assurity. We don't have to fear death. We don't have to fear when this life is over because we'll spend eternity with him. And it just gets better. He gave us a glimpse of it in Revelations 21.4. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. We see the story in the Bible of Paul and Silas, who had been beaten and cast into jail for doing the work of the Lord. For all they knew, they were going to die. But at midnight, what were they doing? Singing praises to God because they loved him and they knew that scripture was true. To live is Christ, to die is gain. If I die, that's okay. I'll just be with him that much sooner. 
And at the core of love, and this is really important, at the core of love is trust. If you truly love someone, you can truly trust them. And if you know they truly love you, you can trust them. And usually that is shown by their actions. God has never shown us anything but goodness and love and sacrifice and mercy and every good adjective that you can name. We can trust God completely. Paul and Silas knew that God would take care of them. If it was their time to die, they would be forever in his presence. And when we serve and love God, our life is no longer our own. It's in his hands. And as we seek to do his will for our lives, we know that we can trust God to do what's best. We relinquish, we relinquish control. And that's a big thing for people, is saying, okay, God, I step back, you take control. That's a hard thing for people to do because of fear. But if you have perfect love, it casts out fear, and you don't have to be afraid of what God will do for you. We don't have to have fear of what might happen because we know the love of God is so strong that he chose to die for us. You can't get a greater love than that, the Bible tells us. So give in to love from God, and you're going to give up fear of failure, want, disappointment, the future, judgment, and death. So finally tonight, my third thing is, if we can give in to the love of God for ourselves, then we will fully have the capacity to give in to love for others. When we have fully received the love of God in our lives, then no longer are we in the position of Gomer, trying to accept that love, trying to allow ourselves to be changed, but then, at that point, when we've truly accepted the love of God and we're living right and living fully in his love, then we're going to be like Hosea. We're going to be the one reaching. We're going to be the one trying to reach out and get a hold of the gomers of this world that are where we used to be, that still don't know how much he loves them, that still don't know how much he cares about them. Showing a love that's free of judgment and condemnation. Our desire and our goal is to be Christ-like, to be like him. To show the love of Christ, just like Hosea did. So no longer are we the Gomers, because when we finally come into that exception of love, then we'll become the Hoseas, that are in turn, we're turning around, and now we're reaching for the Gomers. We're reaching for the ones that need that love. The Bible tells us that God is love. So when we search the Bible to see what it says about love, then that in turn gives us a clearer picture of what God and who God is. And therefore, in turn, what we should be. It says in 1 Corinthians 13, 4, and again, I'm reading from the New Living Translation, if you don't mind. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous, boastful, or proud, or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. And all those descriptions of what love is, that tells us what God is. God is patient. God is kind. He's not jealous. God's not boastful. He's not proud. He's not irritable. He doesn't keep a record of wrong because all the descriptions of love describe God. 1 John 4, 7 through 8, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth, is born of God. And there's that loveth, E-T-H, loves and continues to love. Is born of God and knoweth God. Knows God and continues to know God. He that loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is love. 
you drop down to verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. 12. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us. Dwells and continues to dwell. Don't you just love that? And his love is perfected in us. When we love others, the love of God is perfected in us. Drop down to verse 20 and 21. If a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. If we truly have the love of God in us, we'll show love to others, and we'll see through his eyes. I tweet, I not tweeted, but I put this on Facebook today because I was, as I was going back and looking over my lesson, I just had to post and share. God is the head of the church, and we are his body. We're his hands and feet. And with his mouth, him being the head, with his mouth, God's professed love for us and for the world through his death on the cross and through his written word. And it's a contradiction if the head, the mouth, is professing love while the hands and feet are pushing and kicking people away. If God be in the head, Jesus Christ is saying, I love you, I want you, I care for you. But yet the church is his body, his hands and feet are judging people, are pushing them away, are not showing them love and compassion. That's a contradiction. That's a perversion. That's kind of like the man who tells a woman, I love you, you mean the world to me, I care about you, but then he puts his fist in her face, or he kicks her, or he abuses her, or calls her names. You, you can't do both, because that's not true love. And we are his body, so we need to act in accordance and harmony with our head, Jesus Christ. As he speaks and professes that love through his word, we as the church are responsible for showing that love through our actions and through our words and what we do for others. Jesus even showed mercy to the woman caught in the act of adultery. When the religious rulers, the religious rulers, not the world, when the religious leaders would have stoned her, Jesus made them realize they all had sin and were worthy of death. He showed her mercy and sent her on her way with words to sin no more. So in that scripture, he didn't condone what she was doing. He told her, go and sin no more. But at the same time, he was showing her that love, giving her that second chance, forgiving her 70 times 7. We become like those men when we forget where we came from, though. And it's a sad time when you see people who have been in church so many years that suddenly they think they're better and they forget the place they came from. Even if we were raised in the church, we were all born a sinner and we are not exempt from needing his mercy. And the person that gets to that point of being holier than thou and like the religious ruler, they become like the Pharisees of Jesus as a day, and they are just as guilty of sin as the woman or the man out in the world. And that to me is so sad because probably the main difference is they may know they're lost and they need something, but the person in that position that thinks they're better thinks that they're just all holy and devout. And that to me is sad. You know, it's the cup that's clean on the outside and dirty on the inside. 1 Corinthians 5, 9 through 11. Know ye not that unrighteousness shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, idolaters. This is things and places that many of us were at one time. Fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. 
And then he hits them with it. And such were some of you. But he goes on to say, but be ye washed. But ye are washed. But ye are sanctified. Pardon me. But ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. The only reason we can stand where we are today is because he washed us with his Spirit. Because we repented and were baptized in his name and filled with his Spirit. Hosea, he kept going after Gomer. And yes, each time she left again, it caused him pain and agony. And yes, we're going to love people, and they're going to come in, and they're going to hurt us, and they're going to leave, and they're going to walk away, and it's going to rip our heart out. But we can't stop loving. We can't stop even that same person that goes in and out five times because we cannot get to that point of becoming calloused and we walk in, well, there's their so-and-so again. They'll be here two weeks, and then they'll be gone. We can't get calloused. We've got to keep remembering, God, you love them. Help me to see them through your eyes because you love them even more than I do. Help me not to see their mistakes. If they come back in for the 10th time and repent and go to the altar and pray back through, then you've forgotten it, so help me to. You know, we've got to get that love of God in our heart. We look at people and just show them how much. And that's something that at Ladies Conference, Sister Karen Reinhart spoke about going into the prison and speaking to these ladies in prison. You are a princess. You are loved. And as I stood across from her in the prayer line at ladies' conferences, every lady there that wanted to could go through, I couldn't tell you how many times she would tell people, you are loved. You are so loved. Oh, how much God loves you. He cares for you. And that got into my heart. And I tell you the truth that anymore when I pray with people, I can't help but let that come out of me. Do you know how much you're loved? Do you know how much he loves you? Because sometimes people come up, even Christians that have come and made mistakes, and they're so weighted down with their discouragement and, and, and just to live. You are loved. You are loved. Do you know how much he loves you? And that really stuck with me because that's the way God is. It truly is. Hosea kept pursuing Gomer. We've got to keep pursuing the world. We've got to keep pursuing our family, our friends, the people in need of God's love. Not to bring them in and make them put on the right clothes or whatnot. No. We just got to show them the love of God. We've got to show them compassion, mercy, caring, kindness. And yes, it's going to cost us something. Agape love. God's love is sacrificial love. And we may not get a lot of benefit from it. But the value of a soul, the value of a soul, and reaching those that are lost with the love of God. So many today don't have hope, and we've got to show them there is hope in God. We live in a world that they're just lost, they're torn, they're empty, alone. They wear this mask of, I'm fine, I'm happy, but truly you see how broken they are. So many people you're connected to on Facebook, and, and, and you see their post, I'm, I'm discouraged, I'm depressed, I'm this, I'm that. And you think, man, they just don't have it together. But you know what? We have what they need. This is the answer right here. We've got to show them. They're that damsel in distress, cowered down in the corner of that tower, feeling like my life is over. But we've got to show her that Jesus is that knight in shining armor that can come and change their life. Gomer no longer had to be known as a prostitute. Sure, there's some that were always going to view her that way, but truly their opinion didn't matter. For now, she was Hosea's wife, and that's all he viewed her as. You're my wife. You're my beloved. When God rescues sinners from the pit they're in, he transforms them into a thing of beauty and he covers all their sin with his love and righteousness, just like he did for us. We've got to accept the love of God, give up all those fears, 
and then we'll be capable of loving others with his love. So that's my prayer. That's my desire for us as ladies because I know that as women, women can be some of the most judgmental, critical, opinionated people. That's just kind of some of our nature. Is it not true? Whether you're saved or unsaved, that's just somewhat the nature of women. You know, we want to judge others, want to look at them, try to figure out, oh, I, you know, we've got to figure it all out. But you know what? All we need to do is look past all of the mess and just love. Just love. I love you. I care about you. I'm so glad to see you here today. Everything all right? Would you like to meet for lunch on Thursday? Hey, you doing okay? Hey, I've got some clothes that my kids outgrew. Could your kids use those? I mean, whatever it takes. Let's just, we got to show love. And love is shown not just through words, but the world's looking forward to your actions. Back it up. And we've got to show it. Our actions have to prove it. Because all those words and that talk will mean nothing. They come in here and see our worship and our profession for love. But as the Bible says, if we don't show love to our brother, then we're not truly loving God. Because the Bible says if you've done it unto one, you've done it unto the least of these. You prove your love for God by showing your love to others. So that's my desire for us as ladies this year to grow our group, to grow our ladies, to grow our church. is just to show love to each other as a group, to build each other up. And to anybody we come in contact with in the world, people that come through these doors... We just got to love them. Let God straighten up their mess. We don't have to get our hands and fingers in and try to fix it for them. You know, sometimes they made a listening ear and, and we can give them some scripture. And sometimes we, all we can do is sit there and say, I don't have the answers, but I can pray. But sometimes people don't want an answer or a, or a solution. They just want someone that knows that cares. They just want to know someone cares. So that's my prayer tonight. If, let's just stand um, and this, I don't. I hope you don't mind. I'd like for everybody just to find a place to pray, just for a few minutes. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.